may be like the worst idea that uh, anybody could think to do, uh, but I feel like it was a good book. I feel like there's a lot of value in it uh, that I know is going to speak to me, even reading through it. Um, God's really uh, been trying to reaffirm some different ideas. And so as we go through Ecclesiastes, I want to kind of touch on some of those things. We may not hit every single verse uh, because there's a lot to, to try to get through, and it's, it's kind of a tough book as far as that goes. But we're going to try to get through the book of Ecclesiastes. So I just want to ask you, when all is said and done, when I'm laying on my deathbed and I'm taking my last few breaths and I say goodbye to everybody and I, and I wave goodbye to the world, what really matters? When I'm at the very end of my life, what really matters? You know, I asked the question uh, via email to everybody who gets that, um, that question. I, I think most everybody does. And I asked, what does the world count as success when you die? Uh, one person responded, uh, the, the amount of money that I have I think when you leave, uh, that counts as success. If you have a lot of money, you made it in this world. You succeeded. Someone else mentioned something along the lines of having the approval of other people who I love and respect. Along that lines is, is thinking about my family. Uh, some people's goal in life before they die, even if it's the last five minutes, they want to make sure that their family knew that they love them, that they uh, will remember them with positive and happy memories the whole rest of their lives that they have left. Some people want to make sure they, live their, they have lived their life with no regrets. They conquered every fears. They did everything as good as they could. They, they reached the highest level that they possibly could in this lifetime. Uh, some people feel like, you know what, as long as I did better than the people before me. Uh, you know, I left my kids more money than my parents left me. Um, I, did, I left this world a better place than when I entered it. That's, that's, for some people, they feel, they feel good about their life if that's what it's accomplished by the time it's done. Is there anything wrong with those goals? Are, are those really the goals that we should be shooting for? Well, we're going to be looking at uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes and see what does the writer tell us is the two goals that he has found after trying everything else this life has to offer. He comes down to pointing out two different things that he says, this is what we should shoot for. But before we get to that point, um, I want to talk about uh, a little bit about the five W's, who, what, when, where, and why about the book of Ecclesiastes. First of all, my question is, is who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes? Does anybody know who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes? Solomon. Okay, well, that's what I grew up thinking too. And just so you know, I still think that. But not everybody does think that Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. So I just want to touch on a few reasons why I think Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. So Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. It says the words, and I'm, I went back to the NIV, by the way, just in case it's not matching up with the New King James Version. I went back to the NIV for this book. It says the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. So first of all, the author of this book was a son of David. Now that doesn't immediately mean that Solomon wrote that book because David had lots of sons and he had lots of sons who were born before Solomon. He had lots of wives before Bathsheba, uh, Solomon's mother. And, and as far as I can understand, I don't even think, no, I'm going to stop with that thought. Um, so, but that, will, that limits the playing field from a great big number down to Solomon's sons of which I mean, of David's sons, of which is probably Solomon. The second thing, the second clue that makes me think Solomon wrote this book, it says he was king in Jerusalem. You had King Saul, you had King David, and then you had King Solomon, right? He was the next in line after David. Solomon was the only king that was placed on the throne 
in David's lifetime before he passed on. So that's another reason why I think this is Solomon's book. This is an autobiography of the life Solomon lived, and he's, and he's writing it to his readers who might possibly do this, and we're going to look at that. Why did he write this book in just a second? Some more clues as to why I think Solomon wrote this book. Chapter 1, verse 16 uh, this writer says, I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and of knowledge. He's talking about the great big mental power, this, this wisdom that he has of anybody before him. Also, in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, he said, I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well all the delights of the hearts of men. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me, and all this my wisdom stayed with me. So he talks about this great amount of wisdom that he has, and he talks about this great amount of, of money, that he, these, these gold and jewels and riches that he has acquired. Now, if you go back to 1 Kings, I'm sure this, you, you probably are already way ahead of me, uh, but 1 Kings talks about when David made Solomon king. And, and David has this dream, and he's, God asks him to request kind of pretty much whatever, whatever his heart desires, and Solomon gives a very wise answer. So 1 Kings chapter 3, verses, starting at verse 5, it says, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give to you. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you, righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on this throne this very day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not yet know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the peoples you have chosen, a great people too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Very, very good thought. He says, I need your wisdom. God, there's a great big number of people. I don't know how to lead these people. Verse 10, it says, The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor for the, asked for the death of your enemies, but for the discernment in administering justice, I will give you what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will, be, there will never have been anyone else like you, nor will there ever be again. Moreover, moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. So you find that Solomon is kind of this guy. He's the guy who has, uh, has all the, the brain power that he's talking about, this, all the wisdom. He has all the wealth. He's the, he's the son of David. He's the, the king. So finally, you've got to put all these pieces together and say what we've been taught our whole life. Yes, Solomon is king. So that's the who, who wrote the book. Uh, but when did Solomon write this? Well, that's a good question. I don't have a date for you to say when he wrote this. But based off of what he does, what he accomplishes throughout the whole book of Ecclesiastes, I'm thinking this is at the end of his life. Uh, in second, or in Ecclesiastes 2, verses 4 through 8, he talks about, I've undertook great projects. I've acquired great wealth. I've great, acquired this great number of women. I've uh, built houses, and I've gained flocks. And then it takes time to do all that, right? And so I'm guessing when Solomon's writing this, is at the end of his life. 
He's, he started out as, as being king. He's writing the Proverbs. He's, he starts to invest in the world, enjoy everything this world has to offer. And he's tried everything of pleasure, every, every temptation this world has to give. And now he's at the end. Now he's, he says, this is the conclusion. Um, when my life was done, pretty much, is when Solomon is writing this book. So Solomon wrote this. I think he wrote it at the end of his life. Where did Solomon... Um, what did Solomon write about? Well, Solomon's writing about his personal experiences. He's writing about all the things that he's experienced and, and what he's tried to focus on in his life to find pleasure. Uh, why is he writing this? Because he's trying to convince his readers not to do what he has done. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever um, heard people get up and say, do, don't do what I've already done. I remember the first time hearing it, and I think I've said it before, I was about 11 years old. I was at a, a camp retreat, and there was this young couple that got up on the stage. They were about 19 or 20 who were pregnant before they were married. And that's the first time I remember someone saying, do not do what I did, which was like, duh. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't going to do what you did, but this is, they, those people, guess what they probably heard before? Don't do what I did. Guess what those people probably heard before? Don't do what I did. But it's, it's something because they, we were, they were not willing to accept what somebody else said. They had to learn the hard way. Now, I know some probably people in here have had to go through that. They had to learn the hard way. I'm, I'm no different. Maybe not in that area, but I've learned not to speed the hard way. Right? I've learned all sorts of other lessons in life not to do it the hard way. Uh, and Solomon's trying to save the reader from learning the hard way like he did. And where did Solomon write this? Anybody want to guess where, where Solomon wrote this? My guess, this is purely hypothetical. Picture the, the, the palace. Picture a balcony up there. Picture Solomon sitting there. He's an old man. He's in a rocking chair. And he's just rocking back and forth. And he's, he's thinking, uh, what did I just do with my whole life? You know, I can't do anything anymore. And he's just sitting up there thinking, he's watching the sunset, thinking, this is my life. It's about over. It's about done. And so he's sitting up there and he's just saying these words and somebody is writing them down as he speaks it. That's what I picture. I don't know exactly what for sure, uh, but that's who, what, when, where, and why Solomon wrote this book. And if you read through Ecclesiastes, if you ever have, it's kind of a depressing book. It sounds like a very depressing life that Solomon had to live. I mean, there were highlights in there. You could think, boy, for a season, this was fun. This is really exciting. But by the time you get to the end, you say, boy, what a waste of, of what your full potential was. Because he was the wisest man who ever lived. He had all the resources who, who you could ever amass. And even, uh, it says in scripture, uh, God's talking to David about he's going to be, uh, during, have peace during his lifetime. He had everything possibly going for him. And he chose to take advantage of it, and, but just take advantage of it the wrong way. So it's a very sad book. Now, how many of you ever here like to read, right, or watch movies? Okay, I have a very big question. How many of you ever go to the end of the book and read it first? <laughs> Why? I want to know where it's going. You know, uh, we watch YouTube videos sometimes, and if you look, you can see this. You can fast forward across the screen and see the end of it. Somebody in my house likes to do that and see, did this bad guy get caught? <laughs> Okay, we want to know where the book is going. We want to know how does it turn out. Uh, is this book worth reading? Is this movie worth watching? 
And that's what we're going to do with the book of Ecclesiastes. We are not going to start at the start and work slowly through everything and then see what is the conclusion of it. I'm skipping forward to the end to see, is this book worth preaching through? Is this book worth reading? Is worth, how does he come up with the conclusion? So if you want to turn in your book or in your Bible or the back of your bulletin, we're going to be looking at one verse mainly, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. It says, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's what he's saying. The point of everything that I'm writing, all that I'm building up to, what I'm trying to get you to understand is these two things are what you need to do in life. Fear God and keep his commandments. <clears throat> so the conclusion, that's the end, the end of it. That's the curtains are drawn. Life is over. It is finished. There's no going back. It's as in the end of life. There's nothing more that you, be, that you could possibly do. You said your last breath. You're stuck in the ground. You're covered with dirt, and that's all that there is. And he says, this is what I want you to get. After my whole life, after all the wisdom that I've had, after writing this book or this letter or however he wrote it, fear God and keep his commandments. Now, fear. How many, I don't think anybody here really likes to be afraid. No, I don't, I don't like to be a, the, the feelings of fear, but I know some people do. I know that you watch a scary movie because you like that adrenaline rush, or you get on that scary ride because you like to, that adrenaline, adrenaline rush. You know what I'm trying to say? I will do that. I, won't, I, I really kind of stay away from the scary movies, but I will get on the scariest roller coaster that I can possibly do because I want that. But it's, it's not designed to hurt me. Um, if you ever find yourself in northern Idaho, there's a, a really terrible... Right, it's about, and it's like 20 or 30 seconds long. It's called Panic Plunge. Anybody ever heard of that? You, there's, this, there's this big tube, and there's a ring of people all sitting facing outwards. And as you go up, you got, man, I got this really beautiful view of what this world looks like. And it goes higher and higher and higher. And all of a sudden, you hear a click. As fast as it can, it drops, and then it, like, it slows down at the very bottom so you're not crushed to death. Scares me to death, but I had to try it. But I knew I was going to be okay. But we don't, we don't really like to be afraid. You know, people who are afraid of the dark, they put out night lights, right? If I'm afraid of the boogeyman, I'm going to lock my doors at night or I'm going to get a gun, right? Um, if, I'm, if I'm scared of heights, I'm going to take a pill before I get on the, plight, the airplane or I'm going to take a car, right? I don't want those fears, so I stay away from those. But fear can be a good thing. You know, fear keeps that kid from sticking his hand through the fence and touch that barking dog. It keeps, the, it keeps the kid walking to school from crawling in the car with a stranger. It keeps me from bungee jumping or skydiving. Okay, I want adrenaline rush, but I could possibly die from that, whereas panic plunge, I'm, I'm most likely going to live. Fear can be a good thing. And fear of God is, is kind of the same way. Now, there's two different ways to look at fear. Uh, Martin Luther, he wrote about two different kinds of fear. One is called the servile fear. It's the kind that a fear that a prisoner has in a, in a dungeon where you have this uh, guy who's going to come torture you. He's going to hurt you in all sorts of terrible ways. Or you have some, a slave who's got a really mean owner that's just going to whip him at any given opportunity. And that's fear, right? If, I, if you're in that situation, you're like, am I going to get beat again? Am I going to die? Is it, how painful is this going to be? That, 
That's not the kind of fear we're talking about. We're not looking at the kind of fear where God's just waiting to zap me the next time I come out from underneath my bed because that's where I was hiding. Uh, that's, that's not the kind of fear that this is talking about. The second kind of fear that Luther uh, talks about is called the filial fear, which is drawn from the Latin concept where we get the idea of family. Uh, think about the child who has tremendous respect for his father or mother and who dearly wants to please them. His, his fear isn't that he's going to be punished if he doesn't, but he has this anxiety. He has this fear of not offending the person that he loves because he doesn't want to hurt them. He doesn't want to make dad feel bad. He doesn't want to let dad down. He doesn't want to uh, make mom feel disappointed because he loves them. It's that kind of uh, fear of, of somebody that I love and that I respect and I don't want to let them down. That's the kind of fear that we're talking about. Not the fear that God's going to zap me every time I, I, because I did something wrong or, or if I don't do exactly right. It's the kind of fear that I, I love God. I respect God. Look what God has done for me. He hung on that cross when he didn't deserve it. God gives me the breath I breathe every day. God provided me with a job. He provided us with clothes and with food. Um, he, he gives me the strength to get through each day. And, and you just think about count your blessings, all the things that God's done for me. And all of a sudden, it's like, boy, I don't want to make God feel bad. I don't want to hurt God in any way because look what he has done for me. Fear can be a good thing. Fear of God can be a good thing. Um, you know, in the Bible times, uh, there, there was a lot of fear of God. Um, you find Abraham, he feared God more than he feared his wife. That's saying something. <laughs> you know, because he took his son Isaac and he was going to go sacrifice him. And what do you think his wife's going to think about that? She's not going to be happy to say, wait a second, how old am I? I'm like 100 years old and I got my one son that I wasn't, that's a miracle child and you killed him? But Abraham says, I'm fearing God and so I'm going to do this which he didn't actually kill him because you know that God restrained him from it and that God provided this ram. But he was willing to do that because he feared God. You think about the Egyptian midwives. What were they supposed to do? When those Hebrew women have those little boys, they were supposed to kill them on the spot. And they said, we are, they told Pharaoh, okay, but they said, we're not going to do that. And they lied to him because they said, it's better to fear God than it is to fear man. And so they said, we are not going to do that. Uh, Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise discipline. The, the guy who fears the Lord is going to say, This is what God says, and I'm going to do what he says, as opposed to what the world says that I should do. So fear of God uh, was in the Bible. Fear of God is a good thing. Fear of God is going to keep me from cheating on my taxes because I don't want to displease God. I don't want to, to make him unhappy. It's going to keep me from getting revenge on my enemies because I don't want to offend God. God says he's going to take care of it. I'm just going to fear God and say, okay, you've got this. I'm going to trust you. Uh, fear, is, fear of God is going to keep me from getting angry at God and blaming him for all the miseries in my life because I don't want to hurt God. Fear of God could be a good thing. It's choosing to please God and to love God because look what he did for me and I look at me, what I deserve. I deserve eternity in hell. Even if God changed his mind and said, you know what, you still deserve to go, I should still fear God because, he, I mean, obviously he's not going to do that, but he's such a righteous and good God um, that I should fear him no matter what. People who don't fear God, there's a lot of people who don't fear God. You find them in churches, you find them in schools, you find them in... Uh, the country, you find them in other countries, you find them saved, you find them unsaved, they're everywhere. They don't give God his rightful place. Uh, they look at God 
as if what he says in the word or what he's trying to get through our thick skulls is it's just an option. You know, God wants me to love my enemies. God wants me to give to support these missions. God wants me to, to get my tail into church on Sunday. And I don't want to. So I'm not going to. It's just an option. You know, so it really doesn't matter. Um, people, who, people who don't fear God are willfully going to display God's calling on their life because they say it's too costly. God wants me to go be a missionary in this country, but I would much rather work at this job. God wants me to, to go to Bible school and see where in the world he wants to lead me, but I would rather do something else because I don't fear God. If I fear God, if I loved him and put him in his proper place, I'm going to go and do that. If I don't, eh, it doesn't really matter. I'm going to go and do something else. People who don't fear God neglect God and his word because they are too busy or they just don't care about it. People who don't fear God willfully sin on a regular basis because it's just too good to give up. If I don't fear God, I'm going to be living my life the way that I want to. If I fear God, I'm going to say no to what I, don't, to what I want to do if it goes against what God is asking me to do. Fear of God is the first thing Solomon says that you need to have. And fear of God leads to our second point. Fear of God leads to obedience. Number two is that Solomon comes to the point of his life is to fear God. Number two is to keep God's commandments. To keep them is to observe them to obey them, to follow them, to persevere in doing them. You know, the Jews, they had the first five books of the Bible that they, the books of the law that they had to follow. There was, there was certain sacrifices and there were certain uh, festivals to follow, but they also had verses like Deuteronomy 6.5 that says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's something that they were supposed to do as part of fearing God, was to put him first, was to love him with everything that they had. Uh, a, a famous, I feel like it's quasi-famous, I've said enough times, is love is not a feeling, it's an act of your will. Yeah, we got that mushy-gushy feeling, I'm in love with my wife, I can't wait to, to marry her, or I can't wait to kiss her, or things like that. But it's also a choice. I can, I can be totally mad at my wife and still do something nice for her. She can be like, thoroughly disgusted with me and say, you know what, I'm still going to make my husband dinner. I'm still going to make his bed. I'm still going to pick up his junk that he leaves around the house because it's a choice. It's an option. And so the Jews, they had the same kind of thing. They were supposed to love the Lord their God. They were supposed to choose to put it first. Now, if you look at a Bible, I don't know how many verses there are. I don't know how many words, but this is a pretty thick book. Right? And there are an awful lot of things that God would have us to follow if we're going to keep his commandments. I'm not going to try to even remotely tackle those. But I do want to mention that you know, there's, there's a lot of things that are general truths that show up in specific ways. It's something that's commanded for everybody, but it might look a little different in everybody's life. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 27. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's going to look a little different for you than it is for me because uh, you have a different circle that you are in. Some of you are retired, and so you have this kind of circle. Some of you work in the school, so you have this kind of circle. Some of you work out in the oil field and, or the ranchers, right, that have nothing to do with me, and I'm not in those circles. And so your opportunity to love is going to look different from mine. It's a general truth that we all need to follow, but it's going to show up specifically in your life in a different way. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. That's going to look different too because uh, you have different opportunities in your day where you can focus on praising and praying to God. 
You know, I, I think in Nicole, she's going to be like teaching all day. It's going to be pretty tough while she's talking to be like, oh yeah, thank you God for this and please help this. If I'm out riding on a horse or I'm driving in my car or if I'm sitting around studying, I have a lot more time to, to be praying without ceasing. It's a general truth we all need to do, but it's going to show up in a different way. Speaking the truth in love. That's what Ephesians 4.15 tells us. What kind of truth are you going to be speaking in love? Are you going to be encouraging somebody? Are you going to be rebuking somebody? Are you, are you going to be just sharing God's word in general? It's, go, it's a specific thing. We need to speak the truth in love. How's it going to look in your life? But if you're going to fear God, you're going to do what you find in God's word to say. Steve pointed out this morning in Sunday school that there's a point where you can listen to Dr. David Jeremiah. And you listen to him down the road and you'll get a much better message. And you can get all these truths, all these things that he's gleaned from what the word says. But there's something about getting in your Bible yourself and reading it. And God can speak to you. It's living and it's active. It can nail you or it can encourage you in a way that it's not going to hit somebody else. And so it's, it's important that we're, we're in this word, that we're reading it, that we're trying to memorize it because God can speak to us. There's general truths all throughout scripture that are going to show up in your life differently than in mine. But there's also specific things that God says, I want you to do. Uh, how, many else, how many people else in here are ranchers? I'm a rancher. How many people are ranchers? We got one, two, three, four, five, six. Okay. How many people are here are teachers? We got two. Uh, how many people work in the medical field? Okay, we got two, right? We don't all do the same thing. God says, you know what, Nikki? I want you to be a nurse. And she says, okay, I'll be a nurse. God didn't tell me to be a nurse. That's something specific he said for Nikki. He says, I want Mrs. Wagner and I want Nicole to be teachers. I want Lamar to be a bus driver, right? So there's specific things God says, I want you to do. That's following what God's commands are. He's given it to you, not to me. You think about the ministries that we're involved in. Uh, how many people here work with kids at, in ministry uh, at, let's just say, the church setting, like VBS or Sunday school or Awana, okay? How many people prefer not to do that? <laughs> I love it, you know? Yeah, I prefer not to do that. But I play the piano, uh, but I, I can teach. I can, I can, you know, the maintenance is for, as part of the building goes. Some of you say, I can do that, but I can't do these other things. God's giving you something specific that he wants you to do. You fear God. You say, okay, this is what you want me to do. I'm going to do it. There's general things, and there are specific things that he says exactly for you to do that thankfully he has not asked me to do. Um, even uh, another example would be like the neighbors that you have or the coworkers that you have, people that you have a chance to reach into their life. I know Steve in Sunday school talked about um, doing a good thing for your coworkers. You know, your coworkers are different than someone else's coworkers. My coworkers are when you guys show up. It's going to be different than the, the workers that you have it, it out in the oil field or the, the gas field that don't know the Lord. It's going to be something specific to you. But the idea is that you're fearing God and say, okay, I'm going to do what you asked me to do, and I'm going, I'm going to do it. This is what you've asked me to do, so I'm going to put it there. No, King Solomon... He's the guy, he's the wisest guy who, ever, guy who ever lived. He had all the resources at his fingertips. He wrote the book of Proverbs, over 3,000 of them. I couldn't come up with one if my life depended on it. He started out so well. And now, what is, at some point in his life, he says, i, I got to try something else. You know, and then thankfully he's gone full circle. 
and says, okay, God, you really are what really matters. You are what really counts. And so I'm going to tell people, don't do what I have done. But you know what? We can be just like Solomon. We can start out really, really well. I, I can not write a proverb, but I can go up in a Christian home. I, I can go for days and days of fearing God and doing what he's asked me to do. And then all of a sudden take the weekend off. Or I could do it today and not tomorrow. Or I can do it for two months and then take off three years of it. Right? Just because you're fearing God now doesn't mean you're in stone that you're going to fear God later. Just because you obeyed God now doesn't mean you're always going to do that. It's a conscious choice. Today, I'm going to put God in his place, first place. I'm going to put me in second place or last place. And I'm going to do what God has asked me to do. Solomon you know what? He went full circle. He tried everything that he could to enjoy. He's, he was the king. What, who tells the king no? Nobody. I want this built. You better build it. I want you for a wife. You better come. I want, this, uh, I want these slaves. You better give them to me, right? He had everything at his fingertips. He took full advantage of it. Anything his heart desired, anything his mind could conceive, he had that. And he says, when it all comes down to it, all that really matters are these two things, is to fear God and to keep his commandments. And, and you know, and the funny thing is, when you do that, you, you find out that, you know what, I still can have these goals. I can still have my family who loves me. I can still do the best that I do uh, with every job that I'm given. I can still leave this world better than when I, I came into it. But he's saying, your, your focus can't be on all the pleasures, all the the resources, all the things of this life that give you enjoyment. And look, don't look for those things to find, make you happy. Don't look for those things to give you purpose or to give you meaning. He says, here's the conclusion. Here's the end of the message for today. Here's the end of what the book has to say. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you that you are such a patient God. God, you, you look at us as a people every day and say, you know what, these people love me today, they don't love me tomorrow, they, they're going to follow what I'm asking them to do now, but not at other times. You know, God, we don't always fear you. We don't always put you in your right place. God, we get distracted by the pleasures of this world, by the pursuits of this world, uh, by the things that we want in this world, and we don't always seek you first. And I just, I'm sorry, God, because I know I don't always seek you first as well. God, I just pray that you would please cement this in our mind here's the conclusion of the matter fear you and keep your commandments that's the only thing that's going to count when we die it's the only thing that's going to matter is putting you first and and uh seeking you first and i just pray for your help to do that god thank you for your word and i just uh, pray that you help us to help us to remember this throughout the rest of our days throughout the rest of our life to put you first and do what you're asking us to do and i pray this in jesus name amen may be like the worst